The church say amen. You know, Brother James mentioned this is the last Sunday of the year, and I really hadn't thought about that. I, sh- I should have. Uh, but as he mentioned it, I thought, you know, it could be the last Sunday forever. <laughs> right? <laughs> God does have a plan. Well, we're glad that you're here, but all of you who are present and uh, those of you who are online this evening, let's continue uh, tonight talking about prayer, Hezekiah's prayer tonight. Let's go to God in a word of prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. And we recognize, Lord God, that we are nothing without you. We ask that you will bless us, that you will accept our worship this evening, that it will and has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight, that you'll guide us throughout our worship, and that you'll help us to keep our minds focused on Jesus, your great Son, that we might serve you properly with honor. Lord God, we ask that you will help us never to forget the the richness of your grace. For your loving kindness, as we read earlier, is everlasting. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee. Be thy will. Amen. Please turn to Matthew's where we're going tonight in just a moment. uh, Chapter 6. Jesus modeled for us uh, a strong relationship with the Father he, uh, he demonstrated to us a total dependence upon the Father and the Holy Spirit for all that he did. And prayer is what Jesus did often. He prayed, uh, often it wouldn't even be the proper word to use. Maybe he prayed without ceasing. We have this special privilege from God, the power of prayer. And we should use it uh, appropriately and unceasingly. We think about our prayer. We think about the context context, and the content of our prayer. What is it that we're actually communicating with our God, with our Savior? The mindset and the attitude during prayer. Brethren, we have to remember that that, that mindset has to be with reverence, even in our prayer. We must take prayer seriously. Now, let's think about this for just a moment especially during the COVID period, I've heard this. I'm going to tell you some things I've heard throughout my ministry, uh, you know, many, many years of this. And maybe more so now during COVID where it's more relaxing and a more relaxing environment. I know we attempt to tune out uh, distractions during prayer. And sometimes it's difficult to tune out some of the distractions during prayer. And I get that. But during prayer, it's, it's not a time for us to, uh, you know, turn pages and books. It's not time to color. It's not a time uh, to do things that are considered irreverent, like talking. It's not, it's not a time to, to giggle and laugh because of something that's on our hearts or minds. It's not a time to walk or continue walking when the prayer is, is echoed. Uh, it's not a prayer time when in our prayer, when we come together, uh, you know, in this time, right? I know you've heard this. Uh, this is especially, especially unique to, to us. Open the communion cups. You know, like, okay, let's get, let's get the prayer, our, our bread ready. So let's go ahead and open the case up during the prayer. It's not the time to do that. Right? We got plenty of time to do that. To open the communion cup during the prayer. We have plenty of time to do that. Prayer is a time that involves an attitude of reverence. We must stay reverent in 
our prayers and in our prayer life. All right. The question has come up. Uh, since God already knows what we're going to ask for, why do we have to pray? Matthew 6, verse 7 and verse 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so the question was, well, why are we praying if God already knows what we need before we ask? Look back at that verse. He didn't say what you want. He said, I know what you need. <laughs> That's very different, isn't it? A want and a need are two very different things. So God knows what we need, but you need to ask for what you want. Right? You need to ask God. We need to stay consistent in our prayer life. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. We pray because God commands us to pray. God wants us to communicate with him. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. God wants us to pray. Back to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 7. He wants us to ask. Verse 7 says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. And so when you pray, we need to pray also in accordance with his will. Because see, there's this conflict. Turn to 1 John chapter 5. Often there's this conflict where, you know, there are things that I know God wants in His will or demands in His will, and there are things that I want that might contradict His will. God says, pray in accordance with His will. And look at what happens. First John 5 and verse 14. And this is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know... if if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked for from him. So notice it says his will, right? So he's not saying you ask God whatever you want and whatever you ask for, God's going to give it to you. God is saying you need to pray, we need to pray, and ask things that are in accordance to his will. Now we know we're going to ask for things that we want. But I'm just trying to tell you and show you in the scriptures there is a difference between uh, what we want and what we need. And God wants us to ask. And regardless of whether it is a want or a need, the Bible doesn't distinguish the attitude during the prayer. So Mark 11 and verse uh, 24, listen to the tense as the Bible speaks about prayer. Mark 11 and verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, Believe that you have received them and they shall be granted to you. Notice it says, believe that you have received them. It's a done deal, right? 
So we're not going to pray to God and say, God, uh, these things I ask according to your will. We're going to pray to God, these things I ask according to your will. And when you, when you stand from your prayer or leave the, the, the prayer situation, believe it's already done. Right? An early lesson, the church just hadn't gotten it yet. In Acts chapter 12, I want to give you an example. Acts 12, when Peter was thrown into prison, James had been beheaded. And now in Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 11, Peter's still in prison. They're praying to God for his release. Verse 11. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. How can that be? I mean, we're praying for it, but you know, that's not going to happen. That's not how God wants us to pray. He says, when you pray, you pray believing that whatever you prayed for, it's done. It's done. Right? A lesson the early church had to learn. Turn to Isaiah chapter 36. Here's something interesting about prayer. God knows the situations that are happening on the earth. We're praying about situations on the earth. Hezekiah had a very strong situation upon him. Hezekiah was extremely concerned because the king of Assyria had conquered so many lands and now his eye was set upon Jerusalem. And he was going to destroy them as he had destroyed the northern kingdom and many other kingdoms. It's not that God was unaware. But in Isaiah chapter 36, I want to start reading at verse 4. Then Rabshaki said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? I say, your counsel and strength For the war are only empty words. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose Altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar. Now, therefore, come make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. and I will give you 2000 horses if you are able to ride on your part or set riders on them. So during this during this siege, here's one of those significant schemes that Roshaki brought to them. He says, you know. Make a, make a deal with my master. And we'll, we'll take care of you. 
We'll give you some horses and everything's going to be fine. But I'll tell you what, don't trust in God. Don't do that. Look, I've been victorious. We have been victorious in, in all these wars. Do you think God really is going to help you? And then he contradicts himself, right? Look at the next verse, verse 9. How then can you repulse one official, the least of my servants, and rely on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? And have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Oh, oh wait a minute now. So, so now we're supposed to step back, right? And say, well, wait a minute now. It is true. They have been victorious. And, well, if God told them to do it, then we should give in, right? This is why it's so important to know your Bible. Because it's easy to be deceived, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy to be deceived. If you're, you're, you're in this moment, this situation, and you, you don't really know where to go, you're tossed to and fro, you gotta figure out that the place you have to go to find your answers every time is to the Word of God. Go to God. Go to your book, right? So, now, Roshaki said, God has the one, God has sent me here. And then he says earlier, he says, wait a minute, don't trust in God because see, Hezekiah tore down his high places. Well, look back at verse 7. Verse 7 says, But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Wait a minute. Well, the, the, that was a good deed, wasn't it? Turn back to Second Kings for just a moment. Chapter 18. See, th- that was a good deed to tear down the high places because there was false worship going on in those places. And this is why it's important to know really what thus saith the Lord. Second Kings 18 beginning at verse 3. And speaking of Hezekiah, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke into pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it. And it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. You see, that was a good deed. But see, back to Isaiah, please. Rabshaki didn't know that. He didn't understand that. So he's caught uh, in his own devices. You know what's hard to do? It's hard in the middle of a, a devastating situation to keep your, your senses about you. To stay cool-headed, right, and calm. And what's the first thing we ought to do? Pray, right? But usually because of, because of who we are, because we're, because we're humans, we, we, we try to scramble to fix it first. But the first thing we ought to do is to remain cool-headed and calm and take it straight to the Lord, right? But it's hard to remember to do that when the enemy's at the gate. <laughs> I mean, it's tough. Uh, Rabshaki is, has surrounded the gate. He is, he is prepared for the battle. He is prepared for the war. The order of Hezekiah was, don't answer him a word. 
Keep your faith and your confidence in God. Look at Isaiah 36. We'll skip all the way down to verse 11. Let me show you, they were in great fear. Then Eliakim and Shibna and Joah said to Roshaki, Speak now to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak with us in Judean in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Roshaki said, Has my master sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words, and not to the men who sit on the wall, doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? Then Rabshaki stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord surely will deliver us in this city. Shall not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me and eat each of his vine and each of his fig tree and drink each of the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? And when we have said, oh, delivered, and when have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Who can save you? Tell me which God. Hezekiah's God can't save you. None of the other gods can save you. Who are you going to pray to? Who are you going to trust in? So, Rabshaki sent a letter to Hezekiah throughout the rest of this text here. And, and the letter that came to Hezekiah says that no one will be able to save you, not even your God. I want to pick up in chapter 37 and jump all the way down to verse 10. Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God in whom you trust Deliver you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So, will you be spared? Did the gods of those nations which my fathers have destroyed deliver them? Even Gozan and Haran and Rezif and the sons of Eden who were in Teleazar? Where's the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvim, and of Hena, and Iva? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. 
you receive bad news, take it to God. When we receive good news, take it to God in thanksgiving. The first thing that we are supposed to do is pray. Now, here's the question. Did God know what was going on all around? Of course. Did God know that the war was happening? Of course he did. But why hasn't God responded yet? Where was God? Someone asked me that one time. They said, where is God in all of this? I want you to look all the way down, chapter 37 and verse 21. And I want to show you why the delay. Verse 21 says, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, pause for just a moment. What was the delay? Listen to the verse. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you pray. You gotta pray. See, this could have continued on and on and on and on, but Hezekiah finally gave it to God. And God said, because you prayed, here I am. And then the message goes on, the prophecy of Isaiah to, to deliver Israel, to deliver Judah from this transgression, from this situation, from this very difficult time. Because he prayed. And watch what happened. Because he prayed. Second Kings chapter 19. Look at the devastation upon the Assyrians because he prayed. Brethren, we don't, we don't need to sit back and say, well, God, what are you going to do? And, and when's God going to help us? Take it to the Lord. You can't sleep at night? Go to God in prayer. In sincerity, go to God in prayer. If you're wrestling with something in your life, go to God in prayer. If you're struggling in your mind, go to God in prayer and believe that God is already taking care of whatever it is that's bothering you. Watch what happened. Verse 32, 2 Kings Chapter 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord King, the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there, neither shall he come before it with shield nor throw up a mound against it. By the way in which he came, by the same way he shall return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my Servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in, at Nineveh. And it came about as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adrimelech and Sherezer, killed him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. And as Hardin, his son, became king in his place. And why did all that happen? Because he prayed. Prayer is powerful. And you go back and read all of Isaiah, and you read all of, of this, this passage in, in Kings, and Kings, and, and you'll see that Hezekiah needed to go to God in prayer. And he spread that letter out. And he said, God, here it is. And God said, here's the answer. 
not only to your prayer, but to the comments that were being echoed regarding who's going to save God's people. God. Who's going to save us? God. Who's going to end this pandemic? God. And you know what's interesting about when God helps us? It doesn't depend upon man. It only depends upon God. And we trust and have this confidence in our God. Take it to God in prayer. Look at chapter 20. Hezekiah becomes ill to the point of death. Beginning in verses 1 and reading through verse 2. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he returned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Look at what he did. Isaiah comes and prophesies to him and says, You're going to die. And he doesn't plead with Isaiah. He, he doesn't, he doesn't speak any longer or any more to Isaiah. As Isaiah walks out, he just takes it to God in prayer. And in verse three, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it came about before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer, and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, take a cake of figs. And they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Take it to God, right? See, the beauty of, of physicians, Luke was a physician. We praise God for, for Luke. And, and for all physicians. But, but in reality, they put bandages on our, on our, our sores and, and they, and they wound our wounds and they, and thank God for that. But if God says you're going to die, no physician can save you. We trust in God. Take it to the Lord first. Verse five. It says, return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And then he granted the ability of the physician to make him well. God says, I'm listening. I'm listening to you. We have to keep our confidence in the Lord. Not in, not in the world of medicine. Not in vaccines. Oh, they're necessary. But in the Lord. It has to be in God first. That God would send a remedy our way or a solution or whatever His will might be to solve our current problem. Are we trusting in God or are we trusting in man? 
Luke chapter 18. Trusting in God. Prayer is good for us. It, it keeps us humble. It, uh, increases our relationship with the Lord in a, in a positive way. Humility. Humility. We go to God with a humble heart. And we depend 100% on God. For every breath that we take, we trust in our God. We're thankful to God. You know, being thankful to God when you can't breathe, it's far different when you can. Because when you cannot breathe, you're trying to figure out how to get the wind back into your, into your sail, right? Every breath that we take, thank you, thank you, thank you, God. Right? How constant and consistent are we in our thanksgiving to our God? Thank you, God, for every second that I'm alive, for the every few seconds that I breathe. Thank you. Earlier I made a statement I want to show you. It doesn't depend upon man. It depends upon God. Luke 18, beginning of verse 1. Listen to the parable. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying, there was a certain judge. Excuse me. There was in a city a, a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. She kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect, who cry to him day and night, And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How many of us took a deep breath and said, Ah, so thankful there's a vaccine finally. How many of us said, God's doing it again. Where's my confidence? When Jesus comes back, the question is, or was, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? How much faith do we have in God alone? How much confidence do we have in God alone? Brethren, allow your faith and your confidence to be that uh, that Hezekiah had, that faith and confidence that by just laying the letter out before the Lord and giving it to God, that God would take care of his problem. That by going to God, turning to the wall, if you will, weeping bitterly and praying to God, that God would relieve his situation. How much confidence do you have in God? Here's a judge that did not fear God and did not respect men. But that widow kept praying 
And she kept going to that man. And God used this example as an object lesson for us regarding prayer. Don't give up on your prayer to God. Because God is listening. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a child of God, you've not surrendered to God in the waters of baptism, we have water always ready for those who have heard His Word and believed it, have repented, have godly sorrow in your heart, are willing to make the confession that you believe Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. If you are struggling in your life and you would like prayers made on your behalf, if there's anything that we can do to help you, contact us. The information is on the board. We're going to sing a song of invitation in a moment, but we praise God for you and thank you for your time this evening. God bless you.